0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Buffalo, frankly, this is going to hurt you a lot more than it hurts me, and frankly, it does hurt me, but I've got no choice. I've got to start with last night's game. Let me start with last night's game in Bill's house. Notice what I said right there. I know you probably didn't think that was very cute. I said Bill's house. I mean Bill's house, not the Bill's house, but Bill's house, as in Bill Belichick. Orchard Park is now officially the home of the Hood Man. Now, don't worry, I'm going to get to Belichick and the Patriots in a second, because you know there are a hell of a lot of people nationwide who hate the Pats. You know there are a hell of a lot of people nationwide who love the fact that they became just another team when TB44 bounced. You know there are people nationwide that love the fact that they were 7-9 and nine last year. They were irrelevant, down on the mat, never getting back up. You know that people were loving that. I get it. I understand it. When you're that good for that long and people question the way you went about being that good for that long. You could see where people might want to dance on the old man's grave. You could see where people might want to clown the pats. You could see where people would love every minute of that. They were having a party. Except that party's over. Because the hood is back with a vengeance. Along with his face-licking son. And as of right now, they are once again the team to beat in the AFC. You gotta admit, too, man, it is amazing to see how this dude flipped that table in only one season. Maybe the coach is as important as the quarterback, after all. Maybe the coach is more important than the quarterback, after all. Maybe it is time to reopen the hot take factory and revisit that hot take question once again. Who is more important? So, just that thought on the Pats right now, man. They're back with a vengeance. More on them a little bit later on because what they did, I thought, was impressive as hell. In fact, what they've done all season is impressive as hell. This is what happens when you try to throw dirt on that old man and his face-licking son. They rip the shovel out your hands and they go upside your head with it. And I have more thoughts on them just want to give them some credit off the top. Now back to the Bills. Yo, Mafia, I would ask you how you're living, but I already know the answer. Like crap. That final score may have been 14 to 10, but we don't need to get this twisted. That is demoralizing as hell. That is a demoralizing loss. That's going to leave a mark now. Question is, what can you do in the next three weeks to make sure that does not happen again? Buffalo came into that game. They were 7-4. and four. The Pats were 8-4. and four. You beat New England in your house, in prime time, in tough conditions. You do it with the nation watching. Then your records are tied. You've got the emotional upper hand. You've got that edge in that battle for the division. But... You lose, and then they've got a fat lead going into their bye, and they'll be resting up, recovering, knowing that they just punked you in your own place. And you're going to get a shot, or they're going to get a shot. It's choking you out for good in a few weeks. It's not just that they did it. It's how they did it, like in the most predictable and painful way possible, by flat out being tougher and more physical than your team was. It's got to piss you off. I know it pisses off Sean McDermott to no end because that's a guy who wants a tough physical team. He's literally designed that team to be that kind of team, and then they just ran into a tougher, more physical team who did them in their own house. I mean, you get right down to it. The Bills were out-toughed. They were out-coached, they were out-played, they were out-executed, they were outclassed. they could not stop the run, they couldn't run it themselves. Fact is, the better team won last night. Even worse, they got bullied. You knew right from the jump what the Pats were going to do. They were not going to ask Mac Jones to win that game for them. Not in those conditions. They essentially let the Bills know from the very jump, we're going to run it right down your throats. Go ahead. Try and stop us. They couldn't. Even worse, it's not like it was a one-off either. That's not like that was just one bad night either. Jonathan Taylor and the Colts did the exact same thing to them a few minutes ago. And they're a dome team. Like, how badly did the Patriots want to keep the ball on the ground? (laughs) They ran a quarterback sneak on third and five. Then they ran it again on fourth down. And yes, I have seen the clip of Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer getting asked after the game if they were embarrassed. Those two made it pretty clear they did not appreciate that question at all. Over
1: forty years since the team has won a game running a step two class game, asking that. That embarrassing. I mean, what kind of question? What are we doing, bro? What kind of question is that? What's the question? The nation's going to be criticizing you for calling yourself. All right. I think we. I keep, think keep we keep gave that, up keep, all right. seven points. Yeah, we, fourteen. Uh, four, fourteen to fourteen. Fourteen to ten. Double final score. We made stops when we had to. They had one big run. I mean, they got good backs. They. Yeah. All right. Um, they kept coming back to a couple runs. I mean, I don't know how you want us to answer that question. That's funny. Well, we we'll remember that. I will remember that. This this goes in respect. It's all about respect.
2: I come here every single week and I answer your questions. Truthfully, honestly, I appreciate you guys. Don't do that. Don't do that.
0: Man, that was something, wasn't it? That, that was awkward. That was cringy. That was tough to see. Those are two class guys, too. Two good dudes. Two good dudes, and you want those dudes on your team. You want them in your locker room. I have to say, questions about their run defense are legit. But I could see why they objected to the way that question was framed. Like, what kind of an answer were you looking for there? Actually, I know what kind of an answer you were looking for there, and you got it. You got it. You ask these guys in a moment like that, heated the moment where there's unbelievable frustration, they just got the ball run down their throats. And by the way, it's not the defense's fault, which I'll get to in a minute completely. But if you ask them if they're embarrassed and they're coming off a game like that, a couple of really proud guys, you're going to see where they're going to react like that. And I could see whereby they might have been frustrated in that moment. I get it. You know why? Because they all were. Everybody having anything to do with the Bills was frustrated last night, including their head coach. They were all frustrated and not doing a very good job of hiding that frustration. The Pats will do that to you now. They will. Now, I do want to be clear about one thing. As much as that Bills run defense got gashed, and as pissed as they were, listen, that L is not solely on them. No, they didn't get off the field the way they would have liked. They weren't as physical as they wanted to be, I'm sure. The Pats did run it on, on them and run it down their throats. But the loss is not exclusively on that D. Far from it. Like, while everybody wants to talk about Mac Jones throwing only three passes and probably could have thrown even less, I'll get to that later on, how about we talk about Josh Allen throwing 30 passes? 30. 30 passes in a stadium that look like a snow globe, a kickoff. The Patriots looked at those conditions, and they attempt three passes. The Bills look at those conditions, and they throw 30 passes. Like, let's go all air raid with it. Let's Don Coriel the hell out of this thing. I mean, honestly, it's either really stubborn or really dumb or both. When was the last time you saw one quarterback throw 10 times as many passes as the opposing quarterback in a game? Look, I understand that Josh Allen's got a cannon. I mean, it's a credit to him and that howitzer that he's got attached to his shoulder that he could complete even 15 passes in that stadium. The Pats, I mean, it was so windy, the Pats didn't even bother an extra point to kick an extra point in the first quarter. So I'm pretty sure that 30 passes was not a great idea last night. In fact, I know that was not a great idea. Not in that weather. Last night, the Bills were the ones who looked like a dome team. They were the ones who looked like they had never been in the elements before, had never played in bad weather before, didn't know what to do in those elements. I mean, where were the designed and designated runs for Josh Allen? Josh Allen. Like, I know you don't want to put your quarterback at risk on every single play, but we are talking about a dude who's a battering ram as a quarterback. We're talking about a guy who can truck a linebacker or two. We're talking about a guy who can be a threat if you let him in that department. Yeah, time and time again, the Bills got the ball in great field position, but did nothing with it. Notice I didn't say good field position. I mean great field position. Sean McDermott said afterwards, their starting field position was basically the 40-yard line, but they went one for four in the red zone, and their only TD came on a muffed punt. And as much as I like the guy, and I do like the guy, and I know you like the guy, Mafia, but Dawson Knox picked a bad time to have a bad game, and he had a really bad game. Like, win as a team, lose as a team, but it's tough to win as a team when a normally really reliable guy keeps dropping passes and making mental mistakes. Like, time and time again, the Bills fell apart in the red zone and the Pats stepped up, like on this fourth down game.
1: Allen looks over the defense, got the shotgun snap. They rush five. Here comes the blitz. He throws a line right pass. Patted down at the one. it down on the hatch mark by Miles Bryant. At the one-yard line, just outside the goal line. And New England's defense does it again. They do
0: it again. Stopping the Buffalo Bills deep in their own zone. And on downs it goes to New England. Westwood won all night long. All night long. What a painful end to a brutal night for the Bills and the Mafia. Now you've got to sit with that reality that the road to the division title does in fact go through Foxborough and that big brother Bill got over yet again. Like, I brother. so badly want to call this Bill's Patriots matchup a rivalry, but it's really not. It hurts me to say that to you, Bill's Mafia, but it really isn't, right? Not when they got over again. Not when they went into your house and did you like that. Not when both teams looked at those conditions and then went about it that way. You are kind of like, hmm... Well, blizzard conditions. What should we do? Uh, Air it out. Massive whirlwinds. Let's dust off the K-Gun. You know, I've had Jordan Poyer and Michael Hyde both on this show. I love these guys. Really good dudes. And guys you want on your team. Two tremendous leaders. Just solid, solid dudes. Bill's Mafia knows this. But asking if these guys, if they're embarrassed right after a physical game like that in the heat of the moment, I think you kind of know what kind of answer you're gonna get. That kind of an answer. What are so doing like, doing, for bro? instance, for instance, what if I had to do a presser? What if I had to do a press conference after a terrible show? Well, what if I had to do a press conference after I got a bunch of terrible phone calls? And a reporter came at me with, "Hey, Rome, are you embarrassed by your performance?" I might go off the deep end, too. The hell do you think? You think I like taking those telephone calls? You think I have a choice about taking those telephone calls? I have to involve them. Most of them are P1ers. You know how many worse calls didn't get on the air? You think those are bad? You should have heard the ones we turned away. What are we doing, bro? What are we doing, bro? Why are you asking me about those terrible phone calls? Those were the good phone calls. What are we thought, doing here, bro? I, thought I remember that. Well, I remember that, man. I remember that. So, are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake or eat a bar reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper. What's your beef? Kaiser White is my guest. Kaiser, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Really good to have you. So, let me ask you, going back to Sunday, you had said going into the game, you had a bad taste in your mouth that you wanted to get out uh, after that game against Denver. What did you take away from that loss to the Broncos that you wanted to apply against the Bengals?
2: Oh, yeah, you know, uh, the Broncos game, I felt like uh, myself personally, I wasn't as sound as I could have been in my uh, run fits, things like that, finishing on plays. You know, that's never really a problem with me. So, you know, after dissecting the film, you know, I had a bad taste in my mouth and I was just eager to get back out there Sunday against the Bengals and uh, you know, put my best foot forward and uh come out victorious.
0: All right, so as a team, you guys jump out to a twenty four nothing lead on the road against a good Bengals team, and then Cincinnati starts to chip away and climb their way back in. They make it a two point game going into the fourth quarter. What's it say about your group on both sides of the ball that you shut them down in the fourth and you pulled away for that 41-22 win? Yeah,
2: man, I think overall we have a real gritty team. I feel like we never really give up or not battle hard uh, through the finish. So, you know, when they they, uh, cut it to a two-point score, we knew, uh, you know, we just had to keep battling and fighting and keep playing our game. Uh, Good things were going to happen, and uh, we'll come out victorious,
0: man. Kaiser White joining us. You knew going into the game too, right, that Joe Mixon is one of the better running backs in the league right now, but you guys did a great job on him. You held him to 54 yards on 19 carries. What was the key to doing so, and then how pleased were you with that as a defense?
2: Yeah, man, like you said, uh, Joe Mixon is a great running back, one of the top uh, backs in the league. And we know a team's going to want to attack us in a run game just because we've been kind of inconsistent in that regard uh, throughout the year. Uh, we know we can get it done stopping a run, so we all just have to come together, make sure we play playing assignment sound football and uh, reading our keys and, uh, you know, just playing physical at the end of the day, man. I feel like when you're playing physical, everything else really going to take care of itself. Yeah,
0: how much, I mean, there really is something to that, right? You know, for years and years, you didn't really think of the Chargers as a super physical team, but you've shown up in that way. How important was it for this team to show that, you know, we we'll, we can't punch you in the mouth, we can't blow you off the ball, we are a physical team, we'll get after the quarterback?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely, man. I feel like it all comes down to, you know, your mindset. If, uh, you know, you got the right mindset going in and uh, you're just ready to do whatever it takes to win, I feel like. You know, you're going to show a lot of physicality out there on the field. So that's pretty much it. I feel like our mindset has changed. And, uh, you know, we just got to keep uh, putting it out on film and uh, keep doing it week in, week out.
0: So, Kaiser, what do you think in terms of the mindset? What was the impetus for the change? How much of that is about your young head coach, Brandon Staley?
2: Oh, yeah, man. Coach he's a great coach. Uh, you know, he really knows what he's talking about. And, you know, he, uh, physicality is the thing he always talks about, uh, being, you know, mentally and physically strong. So, uh, you know, we just try to take that into account every day at practice and, uh, you know, every game on Sundays. you know, just to back him up on that.
0: What about the way you fit into his system and the way he uses you? For instance, if we were to go back to camp, he was hyping you up in the media even before the year started. You already have a career high in tackles. I mentioned you've got 96 already. How do you like his approach to defense and the way you fit into that defense?
2: Oh, yeah, man. I love this system. You know, uh, he's a hell of a coach, real defensive-minded. Uh, obviously, he was a D coordinator at uh, with the Rams last year, but, you know, he lets you play free, and he, he puts us in position to uh, maximize our strengths, you know, so, uh, you know, when we're going out there, we're not really thinking too much. we just playing ball, you know, see ball, get ball, you know what I mean? So, I love this system, man, and I can't thank him enough for giving me the opportunity. It's, to, you know showcase what I can
0: do. Hey, speaking of what you can do, can I say like talking to you right now kind of reminds me of watching the way you play. As an example, he says that you're calm. You play fast and you play a position where there are bodies flying around, but there's <laughs> calm. You main, you have this sense of calm that you're able to maintain. How are you able to stay calm in the middle of all that?
2: Um, I think I think when you're prepared and uh, you know, you prepare well and all throughout the week, I feel like it allows you to to play calm on Sundays, where I feel like it's as if if you didn't prepare well, you might get a little rattled out there on Sundays. You know, things going to happen where it might shake you up a little bit, but I feel like when you remain calm in any uh, given situation, I feel like you're going to come out, you know, you're going to like the results you see. So that, I just try to remain calm at all times and, uh, you know, just let the game come to me. Don't try to force anything. Just, you know, play good football
0: guys you're white joining us man it's like it's such a cliche but it's so true right preparation does breed confidence if you put the time in and you're prepared things are going to slow down you will be calm otherwise you're flying around out there and you're not comfortable because of the numbers you're putting up your name is getting a lot of attention and run for the pro bowl i understand that might not be your primary focus i get you're a team guy but what would it mean to you to get voted into the pro bowl
2: Oh, yeah, man. I would obviously love to get voted into the Pro Bowl, but I would not want to play. I would rather be in the Super Bowl uh, playing right here in L.A., man. But, yeah, of course, it would be a great honor to, uh, you know, be playing in the Pro Bowl. But, you know, I still got a lot more to do. Um, You know, I'd rather get these wins, get into the playoffs, and, you know, make a Super Bowl run. But, yeah, it would would be awesome to play in the Pro Bowl uh, for sure. But, you know, I still got ways to go, and I still... Got a lot more things, uh, you know, to put on tape and, you know, to accomplish
0: first. All right, so that big picture thing you're talking about, that you'd rather be in a Super Bowl than a Pro Bowl. It's December. You're currently fifth in the playoff standings. Like, how much attention do you pay to that? And then the larger picture, how much does it fire you up to know that you can go to work every single day knowing how much is on the line with these games in December and how high the stakes are?
2: Yeah, man, I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, pressure busts pipe. so it's really gone uh you know, show what, what type of team we are here. We know every game is, you know, a playoff game from here on out. So I'm I'm excited to see how we going to respond to it, you know, try to take it a day at a time and, you know, not even try to think ahead too much, but just take it a day at a time. And I feel like we'll see good results.
0: And pressure does bust pipes. Pressure is a privilege. And then you've got the Giants on Sunday. There are some questions about who they might be starting at quarterback. So how do you go about preparing for a team when you're not exactly sure who's going to play quarterback? Is there a difference, or does it really not matter in the way you prepare? No,
2: I don't think it matters who they really put uh, back there. You know, we can't take uh, any team lightly. is the NFL at the end of the day, and I feel like anybody could. Uh, be beat on any given Sunday so you know we go out there and uh be lax a days ago and taking them light you know they're gonna come punches in the mouth so I feel like our mindset going into this week is the same as every week it doesn't really matter who they got at quarterback let's just go out there and get after them
0: because like you've really settled in like you played your college ball at West Virginia as I mentioned how do you like living and working in Southern California and especially going to that building and playing on Sundays
2: oh man it's great it's crazy because when I was younger, uh, my uncle, he lived out here for most of his life, and he used to always talk about Southern California, how much he loved it and stuff like that. So I used to always tell him, man, I want to live out there when I get older. So, like, just to get drafted, um, you know, by the charges, like I-, I was manifesting it my whole life. Man, it's nothing better than this. the weather, the-, the vibes, the scenery, uh, good food out here, It's just a good environment all in all. So, man, I can't complain at all. I love it. and I really don't want to go anywhere else.
0: Dude, my thing is, like, I think you fit in perfectly on and off the field. Like, you get it. You understand it. You mentioned that you manifested it. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe if you put something out in the universe, that comes back? Do you believe in that kind of manifestation?
2: Yeah, man, it's kind of crazy. Like, some of the things me and uh, my brothers talked about throughout our whole life when we were younger, we're like, we are like, man, we made it happen. And it's just so crazy to look back and, uh, you know, you sit down and, you know, reflect a little bit. And, uh, you know, everything that happened today Man, we kind of spoken into existence, you
0: know. Actually, I love that. So, what about like in terms of like coincidences? Do you believe are there coincidences, or maybe not? Man, maybe does universe work a certain way for certain people? Is what I'm getting at.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't really believe in a coincidence thing. I feel like, like you said, the universe is gonna work in a certain way. You put good out, good gonna come back to you. Put bad things out, you know, bad gonna come back to you, you know.
0: I'm going to ask you one last thing. Like, I, I'm a Los Angeles native. I live in Southern California. I started the show, guys, By mentioning that it's raining. Yo, I'm a warrior. I went to work in the rain. You got to admit, there is one funny thing about this town. It's an amazing town. The weather is incredible. The vibes are great. But the second that first drop of water hits the first windshield, people freak out. Have you noticed that?
2: Yeah, man, it's crazy. It's like they don't know, you know, what to do and how to operate out here when it starts raining because, you know... Got, You guys are so used to the good weather, but, you know, on the East Coast, man, I've been uh, playing in rain my whole life, seeing rain every other day, so... It's something that I'm used to. But out here, you know, it, it kind of gets to you guys a little bit because you guys just aren't used to that. But, Did yeah, it's you, definitely funny. It's a funny sight to see. For I think sure. it's funny.
0: Did you nail that? By the way, you're right. I Not only do I not take offense to that, I agree with you. We don't know what to do because it never happens. And you're right. In the meantime, the Chargers are 7-5. and five. They're second in the division. They're at home Sunday against the Giants. Kaiser White having a huge year for them. Dude, I appreciate you very much, man. Great to have you on the show. Good luck this weekend. Great talking to you.
2: I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Trade pros.
3: Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and Samer next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you.
0: The Patriots don't just have the best record in the division, they've got the best record in the AFC, and they've won seven straight. And they've dominated just about everybody that they have faced since the middle of October. And they haven't just won those games. They are jacking people up. They're jacking with people physically. They're jacking with people psychologically. And now they head into their bye. They get a chance to rest and recover. And then probably emerge even better than them going in. And right now they're going in really well. I brought this up earlier. So let me point this out and put it to you another way. As it stands right now, who do you think has a better shot at going to the Super Bowl? Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? (laughs) Like, it's not about this per se. And like I said, I don't want to swing the doors open to the hot take factory once again. But if you were looking right now at the two situations, and it is complicated, but if you looked at the two situations right now and you were looking to win a ring right now, who would you rather be riding with? The Patriots or the Bucs? The fact that you're not automatically just defending the Super Bowl champs says a hell of a lot. The fact that you might actually say that you like the Patriots more says even more. If you look at it objectively, wouldn't you say the Pats over the Bucs? Like I understand that Sean McDermott, who I think very highly of, hell of a coach. I understand where he didn't want to give Bill Belichick a ton of credit last night. I get that. I do. But the fact of the matter is, we should give Bill Belichick a ton of credit for what he's done last night. Not just Sean McDermott, but all of us. We all should.
3: You're visibly frustrated and animated. How would you just explain the, the psychological component of coaching against Bill Belichick, especially when he's doing something like that, just running the ball
0: constantly? Yeah, it's not, let's not give more credit than we need to give credit to Bill Belichick in this one. It was, um, whether it's Bill or anybody else, they beat us. Right. Jordan and it's Micah asked if they were embarrassed after the game did not appreciate that question, Deshaun McDermott. I'm telling you man, it what kind was of question raw. Is that? It was raw. The Bills were really frustrated. That was a tough night. So, once you're done asking the defense how they felt about having the ball run down their throats, then you go to the head coach and you ask him, "Hey, how do you feel about that other guy over there who's the best to ever do it?" who went in with a brilliant game plan. And then Sean McDermott's going to say, you know what? How about we don't give that guy all the credit? Let's not give more credit than we need to give credit to Bill Belichick in this one. It was, um, whether it's Bill or anybody else, they beat us, right? I think what he's saying in part is one guy does not get all the credit. And I think what he's saying in part, and he's being very careful about saying this, hey man, they beat us. They beat us. And we kind of helped out in beating ourselves in the way we did not execute when we had to when it mattered most. But here's the thing. I'm not just talking about the game plan. And if you're only focused on the game plan and you're only focused on the fact that they had Mac Jones throw only three passes, when in reality he didn't have to throw one, I think you're missing the point because it's not just about last night's win. And last night's win was not just about Belichick and Stevie and Josh McDaniels refusing to have their rookie quarterback, who tweeted a few years back that he had never even seen the snow, go out there and start chucking it around a lot in the snow. I mean, yeah, it's pretty funny that Jones only threw it three times. Just as it's pretty funny that Matthew Judon said that Jones does not deserve any credit whatsoever.
2: You know, just hats off to the offense, really, everybody.
0: Probably besides Mac, he really didn't do nothing besides hand the ball. Out, but, uh. It's actually pretty funny, right? But again, last night was not about Mac Jones setting records for not throwing the ball or quote doing nothing to help them win. Just like last night was not about the win itself. What I'm trying to say is, last night was about the entire season. Last night was about the off season. Last night was about the Patriots having the best record in the AFC, and they've done it with a rookie quarterback and a ton of free agents. Remember when everybody was clowning Bill Belichick's roster management? Remember when there were all these people saying, man, this guy's lost it? He's lost it when it comes to the draft. He's lost it when it comes to free agency. He's lost it when it comes to building a roster. Yeah, I mean, sure, he's the greatest coach of all time, but have you seen what and who he's drafted lately? To quote a wise man, tell me how my ass tastes. Tell me how my ass tastes. I mean, how cold is that take right now? How does that take look right now? It's getting trucked worse than the Bills' run defense last night. Like, you want to talk about Bill Bill Belichick and the draft. He crushed it with the only draft pick that matters. Mac Jones does not just look good. He looks great. His teammates love him. He's getting better and better by the week. No less an authority than Peyton Manning could not stop raving last night about how locked in the kid is. He showed up looking like a 10-year vet. And it's not just Jones. Christian Barmore has been good. Ramondre Stevenson had 24 carries last night. Damian Harris, who's only slightly older, looked pretty damn good on this run. Got the snap, pitch out near side. Harris, tight end block, fullback block, breaks tackle 40. On the numbers, the 50-foot race to the 40. Going to the hash mark, the 30. A foot race to the 20.
4: Down the middle, 10, 5. Touchdown. A burst by Harris. Up the middle he goes and finds a 64-yard gap.
0: And what kind of a find has Hunter Henry been? And Jesus Christ, it's Kendrick Bourne. That's looking better by the week. I could go on and on and on. And that's before we even get to the defense. And all I'm going to say about that defense is two words. Matthew Judon. That's all I need to say about that defense. And if you don't understand, go ask somebody. What I'm saying is that roster is damn good, and it's getting better. And last night was not just about the Pats showing up and dominating the Bills in their house. It was about identity. It's about who they are. That's how good they are. Let me tell you about an amazing product. You know, you can access content from over 59 different countries by changing your virtual location with a single click. With NordVPN, you could be anywhere in the world virtually and access content from those regions. If you're outside the U.S., you still have access to all U.S. streaming services. You will never miss your favorite show ever again, and it's super easy to use. Now, you might hear people say that VPNs have a rep for slowing down your internet speed. Not with Nord VPN because it is the fastest VPN in the world. Plus, you don't have to sacrifice internet speed for better security. With Nord VPN, internet traffic is routed through a secure encrypted tunnel which protects your data and your privacy. With Nord VPN, internet traffic is routed through a secure encrypted tunnel which protects your data and your privacy. You can also have Nord VPN on up to six devices so all of your devices are protected. You can also have NordVPN on up to six devices, so all your devices are protected. Go to nordvpn.com slash roam or use the code Rome exclusive podcast code, and get up to 73% off NordVPN plan plus a bonus gift. Be quick because this offer is limited. That's nordvpn.com slash roam or use the code. NordVPN.com slash Rome. Kelvin Sampson is my guest. Kelvin, there is so much to talk to you about, but first off, let me start with you. How are you doing? How is your life right now, Kelvin?
4: Well, first of all, Jim, always uh, good to be on with you, uh, my friend. Um, everything in Houston's uh, going good. You know, we um, have a team I really like. Um, uh, tough kids. They, they they really compete. Play together. Um, you know we've um, we had a tough loss to Wisconsin, a really good Wisconsin team, by the way, in the uh, Maui Classic in uh, Las Vegas. That's uh, that was our hiccup, but I think we learned from that, and um, we've had three games at home since then that we've uh, won. So. Uh, yeah, getting ready for a big one at uh, Alabama on Saturday.
0: That's it. You got a big one against Alabama Saturday, Kelvin Sampson, my guest. Kelvin, when you start the conversation by saying, I like my guys, they're tough, they play some defense, I know you're in a pretty good spot because that's exactly what you're looking for. You did beat Alcorn State last night, 77-45. That was a game, Kelvin, where Marcus Sasser had 17 points. He had a career-high six steals. What did he show you last night, just as a pl- not just as a player, but also as a leader?
4: You know, sometimes when you play these bye games <clears throat> um yeah especially when you've played uh, Virginia and Oregon and Wisconsin, uh Butler, some of those schools you're you have to be really careful about uh, your leadership, making sure that the uh players are really focused on on playing the game. You know, the there's a I, I believe in karma. I think there's a lot of karma involved in um in preparation and how you um, uh, prepare your mindset and having a guy like Marcus is, is such a godsend for any coach. Um, <clears throat> he's a very serious young man, um, comes from a, a tremendous lineage with his uncle Jason Sasser and Gerald Sasser both having played in the NBA and um, Marcus's father is their brother so he's he comes from a great basketball family, but very mature kid, real quiet. Um, he, he's learning to lead his way. Um, just his defense uh, last night, uh, how hard he played, getting on the floor, being the first one on the floor after loose balls. Always pays attention in the huddles. Um, uh, serious about his um, uh, preparation. Um, Mar- Marcus is our leader. Uh, our kids really look up to him. You know, he was. You know, he's in his third year here. He knows nothing but winning, and he's been a huge part of all of our teams.
0: We are talking to Kelvin Sampson. You know, Kelvin, you're coming off an amazing year that included a tournament title, that trip to the Final Four. I'm not saying you would ever do it because you're not built like this and you're not wired like this, but when you have that kind of success, there might be a concern that some might rest on their laurels, but you have been demanding, how do we go from good to great? How have you gone about addressing and trying to answer that question?
4: Yeah, so there there are certain benchmarks that we try to hit every game, and and I hold them accountable for this. For instance, uh, rebounding. You know, the most important rebounding stat to me is always defensive rebounding because your goal is to allow teams one shot. And if you can clear clean rebounds, it, it triggers your offense going the other way. Um, On the other hand, when you shoot and miss, um, are you a team that's going to try to get second and third shots, or or are you going to get back and try to build your defense in transition? So, you know, everything we do game to game is built off rebounding. Um, You know, second and third shots has kind of been our our, uh, MO around here. But to get an offensive rebound, Jim, we've convinced our kids that it takes two people. Oh, somebody's got to be the kamikaze guy, go in there and tip and keep it alive. Then another guy has a chance to come in and clean it up and get it. Uh, and if we don't have a clear path to put it back in, when we do get the offensive rebound, uh, we kick it out. And our terminology for that is daggers. We score a lot of points. We score a lot of points on second and third shots. And, and to do that, you have to have in-game goals. For instance, our one of our goals is to get 30 tips. And you can tell you have a good culture when <clears throat> you hear the players on the bench when they come out or the guys that are on the bench. They're always check, checking with our our assistant coach that tracks our tips. How many do we have? You know, like at the end of the game last night, we're playing um, a team that we're up 30 on, and our guys are going, we we have 28 tips, we got to get two more. Uh, now, part of that is because they don't want to run, it, it, which is what they'll have to do if they don't get to 30 tips, But the other part is, is that keeps them engaged in the game. It it keeps them connected to, to a goal, something we're doing. And and to me, that, that kind of allows you not to overlook anybody and and play the game um, uh, the right way. That it's an important game because it is our next game. You know, sure. We got Alabama coming up on Saturday, but we wanted to get 30 tips last night. I think we wound up with uh, 11 or 12 offensive rebounds, something like that. But, uh, to get 30 tips means our kids were were competing and um, uh, really tuned in to what our goals were in the game, and that's and to me that's how we've got to play. Nice when you're making a ton of shots, tips aren't as in, as important maybe, but you're um, you know you're always gonna have games where the ball doesn't go in. Can you win games when you're not making shots? And to me that's that's how you go from good to great.
0: We're talking to Kelvin Sampson. That's a really interesting response, Kelvin. So, like, when you're looking for players, obviously you're looking for a fit, but you want somebody who's going to buy in. You want somebody who's going to understand the culture. You want somebody who's going to understand exactly what it is you're talking about. So what's that fine line between finding that guy who's really gifted, who's got that great talent, versus that person who understands this is the way we do things around here?
4: No, that's, that's a great great question. you know sometimes it comes down to something as simple as this uh jim up like i'll watch a kid play and somebody that's talented and one of our one of my guys uh, likes him and i'll look at him and say would you rather coach that kid or would you, or do you have a problem coaching against him there's some some of the more talented guys i'd much rather coach against some of those guys whereas a guy maybe not as talented or as, as ballyhoot, um a kid that just just does whatever it takes to help his team win the game. You know, whether it's uh, uh, deflections, loose balls, sure he can score. But what what do you do to impact winning other than putting the ball in the basket? And do you understand that? And that's where the evaluation part of recruiting becomes important. You know, if you're at um, a certain level of school, you're probably recruiting more than you're evaluating. But at a school like Houston – We have to be really good at evaluating kids that will fit into our culture. Uh, For instance, our our little point guard last night, uh, Jamal Shedd, last year he didn't get to play very much because he backed up Dejan Giroux, who was our senior point guard. But this kid was in the shadows learning and working. But I remember recruiting him out of high school. Uh, He played on uh, Jermaine O'Neal's Drive Nation, AAU team out of uh, Dallas. And uh, we just loved his toughness, his competitiveness, and we thought he'd be a great fit for us. Last night, he had 11 assists and no turnovers. Uh, the game before, he had four assists and no turnovers. So th- this is a kid that we evaluated and said it's a great fit for our program. Um, I had no idea at the time who was recruiting. I didn't know what offers he had. But I do know that kid fit us. And that was – that's and that's uh, – That's why evaluating and and the evaluation part of the recruiting process is so important.
0: We are talking to Kelvin Sampson. He is the head coach at Houston. You know, Kelvin, I'm kind of struck by what you said about, you know, a, a school like Houston or a program like Houston. Here's the thing. The only program over the past three years with more wins than yours is Gonzaga. This is really elite company to be keeping. You and I have talked about where that program was when you arrived. What's it mean to you to be where you are right now?
4: well i'm 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 happy and i'm proud, but I'm really happy for the people that supported us from day one. You know when you win everybody uh is you know loves you you know it's like you know winning winning has many fathers and um losing is is an orphan you know there's not many people around when you're losing, but when we got here, uh Mac Rhodes, who's now the a d at Baylor um and I talked about this job and and um um the road that we're going to have to travel to get it there. And, and, and I had a vision for how we had to do it each step, and he supported me. And then four months in, he takes the AD job at uh, Missouri, and Mac is still a really good friend of mine. love Mac to death. And then Hunter Yurichek comes in as the AD, and, and Hunter's really the one that, that, that moved the facility part of our plan uh, forward. The Guy B. Lewis Development Center is a beautiful uh, basketball-only building that houses everything that we need from a uh, um, practical standpoint on a day-to-day basis, but also it's a tremendous recruiting tool. And then Tillman Fertitta, who is the uh, owner of the Houston Rockets, uh, chairman of our border region, has been been so good to me and our program. Rice has a check for $20 million to put his name on our our brand-new renovated – um, basketball arena. It was Hoffheim's, uh Pavilion. Now it's the Prudential uh, Center, and um, that place has become uh, a huge home court advantage for us. Uh, and then Chris Pesman comes in as the uh, my third AD, and Chris has been awesome. Whatever we've needed, he he never says no. He says let's find a way to do it because he knows that whatever we ask for is something that the program needs. You don't ask for something personal. You always ask for something. Um, uh, that's important for the program because the program is bigger than any individual, obviously. So I've had great, I've had great support from administration. And then our president, uh, Renu Couture is, is so pro athletics and, and her and her husband Suresh sit courtside at every single game. So, um, you know, coaches and players win games, uh, Jim, but administrators win championships. And the big reason why we've is so successful here is I've had unbelievable support from the top down. It starts with President Couture and, and the great ADs I've worked for
0: so critical if you're a head coach and any would tell you that Kelvin Sampson joining me for another moment or so so Kelvin you got that big opportunity coming up on Saturday night you face number 9 Alabama I had Nate Oates on the show last week we were talking about why he wants to face great teams early in the season a lot of coaches might want to avoid a game like this what do you like about a game like this at this juncture of the year
4: I think it exposes you you
2: know we
4: we played Virginia we played um, Wisconsin Oregon, um, uh, Butler, uh, you know, we, Hofstra, you know, Hofstra uh, probably should have beat us. We, we were lucky to win that game. Um, but, but it also exposed us uh, things that we needed to work on. But, you know, going on the road, I think every team needs to, at least my teams, we need to play a tough road game in a tough environment um, uh, just to see how our young guys. You know, we, we lost four starters from last year's team. Quentin Grimes, Dajon Giroux, uh, Bryson Gresham, and Justin Gorham. Uh, those those four guys were the heart and soul of this program. And so we brought back basically one starter in Marcus Sasser. So we're plugging all these new guys in. So I've never seen them play a true road game. Um, and you've got to be able to learn from that experience before you head into conference. So Basketball is not about... Um, uh, you know, going undefeated, you know, nobody's going to go undefeated. And I I don't think coaches should be afraid to lose a game. It's okay to lose a game. You know, you play, if we have a schedule where we play at Alabama, at Gonzaga, um, at uh, Illinois, wherever, uh, you're going to lose some of those games, but you learn so much from it. We have a good team. Now, how good, how much, how much better can we get? Well, you you won't know unless you play teams that, uh, Uh, can make you better, and that's what Alabama is for
0: us. I like it. There's only one way to find out. He's in his eighth season with the Cougars, a two-time conference coach of the year, led Houston to their first Final Four since 1984 last season. At number nine, Alabama on Saturday, we consider him a very good friend of the program. He is Kelvin Sampson. Kelvin, I do appreciate you. I do appreciate the relationship, and it's always good to talk basketball with you and have you on the show. Kelvin, thanks so much for that.
4: Uh, Ditto. Uh, Jim, appreciate being on with you, brother.
0: Home team, visiting team, your fantasy team, no matter who you root for, we are all on the same team when it comes to COVID-19. BioNTech and Pfizer remind you to please consider getting vaccinated. This says, so, Belichick is getting called a genius for not throwing the ball with 80-mile-per-hour wind gusts and a rookie quarterback. Good stuff. real Mensa. I saw it rain before I went to work, so I brought an umbrella I guess I'm a genius, too. Cooper Cup must be a brain surgeon, then. Signed Jake in NYC. Damn, Jake. Hate much? Hate much? I mean, yeah, there's something to be said for that. We're not saying... This is the point that I'm trying to make. I I hate it when I say something, and I go way out of my way to say it a certain way, and you still hear what you want to hear. I'm not saying that he's a genius for, or Josh McDaniels is a genius for having Mac Jones, a rookie in some really bad elements, throw the ball three times. I'm saying it's smart. I'm saying they looked at the situation and they decided to run the ball and they let everybody know they were going to run the ball. But I'm not saying they're geniuses. I mean, easy, Jake. Now, in terms of Cooper Cup, you're right. He might be a genius. Him talking about his TD after Sunday's game was damn near a postdoctoral dissertation.
1: touchdown specifically, your defender went and blitzed. What did you see there? How were you able to, to use that to your advantage? Yeah, they had a little three-deep fire zone, brought the nickel off the edge, safety dropped down. Uh, it didn't look like they were doing a replacement fire zone, so I knew at the back away way we were going to get three pushing through. Um, I had an opportunity to kind of run in there if I could beat my guy and just had to beat the safety to the end zone.
0: Oh, that is good. My man is good. Now you know why he's one of the best in the game. You knew physically, you knew physically that he was one of the best in the game. But now you see the way he thinks the game. My man, I got to admit, I'm not saying that I know the game. Not like that, obviously. But I have to admit, watching him on that play, I thought the exact same thing. This is exactly what was going through my mind. As I saw that route develop, and I saw that play develop, this is exactly what I was thinking.
1: Yeah, they said a little three-deep fire zone, brought the nickel off the edge, safety dropped down. Uh, it didn't look like they were doing a replacement fire zone, so I knew at the back away way we were going to get three pushing through. Um, I had an opportunity to kind of run in there if I could beat my guy and just had to beat the safety to the end zone.
0: So like I'm on this text thread during games, and I immediately start blowing up my guys like, "Oh, look what's happening there! It's a uh, drop down safety fire zone. Uh, tractor ambulance. Yeah, uh, 3D fire zone, but the nickel off the uh, edge. AT drop
1: down. Uh, it didn't look like they were doing. Yeah, nickel off the edge. Zone, so uh, swimming the pool combine. I had an opportunity to kind of run in there if I could beat my guy and just had to beat the safety. I knew if I could
0: just beat that fire engine into that combine, into that safety drop down, into the fire zone, zone, into the uh, towering inferno, Uh, and uh, into the uh, all-you-can-eat pizza.
1: We were going to get three pushing through. Um, I had an opportunity to kind of run in there if I could beat my guy and just had to beat the safety to the end zone.
0: Right, exactly. I was going to say the same thing. He is Bruce Feldman. Bruce, there is so much going on. It's great to have you back. How are you?
3: I'm doing great, Jim. Good to be on with you.
0: Good to have you, Bruce. All right, so yesterday it became official. Mario Cristobal would be the next head coach for the University of Miami. You've got a piece up on The Athletic right now, Bruce, about the move from Oregon to Miami. Based on your reporting, how did this unfold over the past few days?
3: Well, I think what has been the tricky part, especially from the Miami side, was Manny Diaz, who was, had been there three years, and he'd really been kind of in limbo and really kind of twisting in the wind as UM money people were trying to see if they could pry Mario Cristobal, who obviously grew up in South Florida. He's a Miami guy, played there, was an assistant coach there. And they knew he was very, very um, tied to the program, that he loved Miami. But as much as they knew he loved Miami, uh, they also found out that he had really strong bond with Oregon, and he built something there, and he was very excited about what he thought were the 2022 and 2023 Duck teams that he believed could compete for national titles. And so he was hesitant to make any kind of move like that. But ultimately, uh, especially on Sunday, things really ramped up, and it was all looking like Miami had gotten a lot of things, you know, alignment, which I think, considering they're still without an athletic director at this point, is quite a task. And so as it got into like late Sunday night, you know, from my sources, uh, Cristobal was like, "All right, this is something I got to do." But now it's the process of telling his team. He didn't want everything out. He, he kind of made the unusual move of just basically having a players-only meeting where a lot of the staff who were out recruiting didn't even know that that meeting was going on, where he was going to inform the team. Yes, I am. I am no longer going to be your coach. Here's why I'm leaving. And for Miami, honestly, it's a huge coup because. Cristobal is known as as a ferocious recruiter, and it seems to have been really tough and physical, and I think those are both things that Miami football has struggled with
0: for a long time it truly is an incredible get from Miami Bruce Feldman's joining us one of the things Bruce that he said to you was quote I played there man point to all the zippers on my body how many times I've been opened up and closed up it's different man unless you've played at the University of Miami you just don't know end of quote so my question for you Bruce is it safe to say that this is a cane thing and that nobody else really understands unless they've been there and done it
3: yeah, that's been a longtime motto around Miami people. And for a long time they they that was a badge of honor, but right now they've been so underwhelming for about fifteen years that I think people are just kind of written them off. And but to Cristobal, it is a very personal thing. Remember now he not only was an assistant and helped which Davis build that powerhouse that was arguably the greatest team in college football history, but also when he was on Nick Saban's staff, he was really the one who helped create a pipeline into Tus- from South Florida into Tuscaloosa where they got one first-round pick after another, all those great receivers. I mean, Cristobal was a guy who really started that. So he knows how to recruit. We've seen it now at Oregon in the Pacific Northwest where he has taken that brand and he's gone into Southern California, not only pulled out Kayvon Thibodeau, but a bunch of other big-time, you know, four- and five-star guys. So we've seen this blueprint. Now we're going to see if he can really get it rolling at Miami.
0: We're talking to Bruce Feldman. Bruce, let me ask you this. Like, the perception is the results on the field have been terrible because there's been so much dysfunction surrounding the program. Is that a new thing, or was there a level of dysfunction even during the golden days as well?
3: Yeah, I think it's a great point, Jim. And this is something I got into in the column on The Athletic yesterday was, for as much as, as people can talk about Miami's facilities aren't that great and they've been left behind, Miami's facilities were horrible back when they were winning championships on top of the college football world. Not only that, you know, they had a lot of friction, certainly with, with Jimmy Johnson when he was the head coach and the president of the university. I mean, there was always that, that level of friction. There was no alignment there. Uh, it was like it was us against the world, and the world, you know, and that, in their eyes, included their own leadership. So... I don't think it's a, you know, I I think that needs to be put in context because so many people just say, well, this is why it doesn't work and why it's fallen apart. And they neglect to realize in a lot of times they want it, they thrived in spite of it. And if you talk to Cristobal, and I've known him for a long time, and I kind of get into some of the details and the story about how to them, it was like all that fancy stuff that other, you know, some of those other kids want. And this, that, that woos and sways some of those other kids. We don't want that kind of kid. I mean, and so it'll be interesting to see how much his perspective has moved, if at all, when it comes to things like that. Because, quite honestly, there's, you know, there's a lot of programs that have, whether it's Texas, USC, to name a couple, who have kind of got sucked down this rabbit hole of taking maybe kids who maybe weren't as hungry and maybe they just wanted to chase stars, and it backfired. So. This is going to be an interesting interesting dynamic as it goes forward at, at the U.
0: I think that's actually fascinating what you just said in terms of that dynamic and what kind of player you want to recruit and whether or not they've got that, that kind of grit and they're raw. And in terms of facilities, Bruce, let's not forget, right, his first head coaching job was with FIU. For those who do not know, just how terrible were the facilities at FIU when he took over?
3: Oh, it was the worst setup by far in all of college football. I remember going down there. They didn't have a weight room. They didn't have any film set up. I mean, there, there were, the facilities were non-existent. And then when he got there, they found out they were getting hit with massive scholarship uh, sanctions. I mean, so, you know, his kind of force of will that by year four they won their first bowl game was pretty amazing. And for all the people say, okay, well, this is going to be a massive rebuild, this guy kind knows of all, all about it. I mean, also keep in mind, they were four and eight when he got to Oregon. So I think, you know, I think these challenges are things he relishes. He's been through it before. And I think he's got what's going to be critical. I think is he's got the support of Miami has this huge vocal, like Godfather crew of former players. And you know, many of them because they were NFL stars. They know Mario Cristobal is not just one of them. He is kind of of them and part of it. And I think they, they get it. So you're going to see probably a different level of alignment than we've seen there in a long, long time.
0: Bruce Feldman is all over this beat. Fel- Bruce, let me ask you this. If Oregon beat Utah on Friday night, would Mario Cristobal be the head coach of the Canes right now?
3: I don't know. That is a great question, and I'm not sure you'd get an honest answer from anybody on it. Um, you know, it's the same thing you wonder, like I've wondered about is if, if Oklahoma beat Oklahoma State, that would have worked out or probably would have for Lincoln Riley to go be to come head, head coach of USC. Matt Campbell from Iowa State might be the head coach. I mean, timing is really a crazy part of this, especially with how the calendar and the college football set up with now this early signing period and there's a lot of ADs and, and boosters in scramble mode. And I, I think your point is, 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 a, is a legitimate one.
0: Hey Bruce, one more thought about Cristobal. Like he, and you've pointed this out, like through sheer force of his will and his energy and his personality, he is a legend, like an icon on the recruiting trail. What is it about his approach that makes him so special in that regard? And what kind of results do you expect that he'll have in Miami?
3: Well, I think there's two big things. One, I think he totally is authentic. That is who he is. There's no kind of no fluff around it. People know this was a guy who, you know, life in the trenches kind of guy. But also I think the biggest thing is he is like addicted to recruiting. I mean, there's a handful of head coaches who are that way where, I mean, Ed Ogeron was honestly this way too, where they don't golf. They don't do all these other, you know, other things. They love the chase and they love the battle and recruiting. And they love that process because I think they like to cultivate the relationships they have with high school coaches and families and he's he's been that guy. Like He has always been this relentless recruiter, and I think that's a big part of the selling point and the appeal for them to make this hire. All
0: right, so before I let you go, Bruce, there's some of the other things going on. If we could just hit on a couple of things really quickly. Where do you think Oregon goes from here, and could you see them making a run at Chip Kelly once again? You
3: know, I could see them making that move. He's had a, he's had a a pretty good year where it seems like he's really turned the program around and they've got momentum. They have a good chance to win their ninth game. Remember, you know, he still has some good relationships with, with the most influential people up there, whether it's Pat, you know, whether it's Pat Tilkenny or, or certainly Bill Knight. Uh, he has a lot of ties there. I know he and his wife really love Southern California. So I don't know what that, you know, how that would, You know how appealing that would be necessarily because i think he's finally gotten the program where i think he's very comfortable with the direction and and he knows he has good good kids who have bought in and do all the right things so i think on that standpoint it's like why would i leave now especially when he when he likes where he lives then again he knows that place at oregon i think he knows it's in a good situation we'll be interested to see if they really come at him. I, I wouldn't expect it to be a decision of, oh, Oregon's going to throw X amount at him. I just think it's a matter of where where do we ultimately want to be. Um, you know, to me, he would probably be the the top choice if they you know, as they get into their search, just because you're talking about a guy was forty six and seven in four years there.
0: Talking to Bruce Feldman for a couple of more moments. I, I think it's fascinating, actually. I agree with you. He finally, after all this time and all this work and all this energy, he's got this thing where he wants it or headed in the right direction. He likes the area. Would he go back, and would they want him as much as he might want that? We'll see. What about the fit of Brett Venables in Oklahoma, especially as they get ready for the SEC? Do you like that fit?
3: I do in that he, is, he was there when Bob Stoops really got it rolling, and, and he, has a, he has a great perspective on it. He certainly saw he helped. He was, you know, an invaluable part of Davos Sweeney getting Clemson and, you know, to take a huge jump to be a national title contender and then win a couple. His reputation also, hot, super high-energy guy, will be all over at recruiting. I think, you know, a big selling point here is that for a program that felt like it was reeling a little bit and caught off guard by Lincoln Riley's exit, you know, you had Bob Stoops really stepping up the way he did, to stabilize it. And I think you have another guy now who a lot of people have wanted to to try to hire as a head coach for a while, and it never happened. Now, you know, credit to Joe Castiglione, the AD there, who was able to make it happen relatively quickly.
0: Hey, Bruce, really quickly, I'm really curious about your thoughts on this. Offense coordinator Joe Brady and the Panthers have parted ways. When you consider what he did at LSU, how much interest is there going to be in his services in college? And where could you see him ending up?
3: You know, I could certainly see Brian Kelly wanting to make a run to try to bring him back. You know, he was the pass game coordinator and did a really good job there. Uh, He is a South Florida guy. He grew up and went to high school a half hour away from Miami. If I was Mario Cristobal, I would think really hard about getting with Joe Brady and seeing, hey, is this a fit here? Does he want to come home? We know, you know, when Miami was rolling, they had a really uh, lethal passing game. You know a lot of great receivers. Obviously, you can start with Michael Irvin. A lot of really special quarterbacks. Joe Brady really, you know, thrived with that. Not uh, not just with Joe Burrow, but with Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. That whole crew.
0: It may not have worked
3: out in the NFL, and maybe in part they made that move to you know maybe give some more flexibility to get in on some of these college OC
0: jobs. Hey, Bruce, last thought you mentioned Brian Kelly. Look, you, you've done this a long time. I've done this a long time. We have both talked to Brian Kelly numerous times. Have you ever spoken to him and heard any scent or any hint of an accent the way we saw when he got off that airplane and showed up in the arena and addressed the new fans in Baton Rouge?
3: No, uh, I'll be honest. That was just, that was so bizarre. <laughs> you know, the word family, and it became the It was just like, whoa, what am I hearing? You know, and so... I You know, you start to wonder, was like was that like part of a joke that nobody else was in on or whatever? And it's just, you know, I don't think this makes it a disqualifier, meaning like if he struggles there, would be like, oh, remember this moment. But it was totally bizarre when I saw it online. I ended up watching it like five times. I'm like, did I just hear that? But, you know, at the end of the day, Brian Kelly is a really good coach. He's proven it everywhere he's been. Now, this is a big change. I uh, want to see how he does in the SEC, but there's, there's been a handful of guys, Inc- Nick Saban included, who were not you know, from the SEC, who went in and flourished. I mean, both Nick Saban and Urban Meyer certainly did. Brian Kelly has a lot of credentials. The, the, the Southern accent, or the fake Southern accent, I mean, that, you know, I don't know when he'll live that down. Probably after he, w- you know, if he can win his first championship, then I think people will, the joke will be on everybody else.
0: Yeah, either that or never at all bruce so that that whole thing was so weird i agree with you like i agree i agree with what you just said he's a really good coach a really good coach who's won everywhere i have no idea for the life of me why he felt like he needed to do that if that's a joke then none of us got the joke that was wild man that that was incredible like nick saban did not do that we all know this guy's from boston we all know this guy spent the better part of a decade and a half in the midwest (laughs) like who put that in his head why why did he think that was a good idea or that might resonate with somebody
3: the only thing I could think of Jim was after the first game of the year he made a joke in the post game interview and it was he played up a line that was a famous uh John McHay line that was probably from 50 years ago right and a lot of people didn't get it it fell really flat and I don't know if that was the same thing going on I it's just cuz like you said who who picks up an accent in 2 days when they're 60 years old it just it just doesn't happen um, you know I <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. I'd love to. I'd love to hear the explanation. Of, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, it just. You know, we know he's a sixty-year-old guy from Boston. Usually, those guys sound a certain way, and they don't. They, it doesn't change right away. So maybe there was a uh, awkward moment that he was just kind of thrown into, and was. I don't know. Gave into it. Gave into it
0: big. No. You know, Bruce, you actually make a point that I had not thought of. It, it might have been a joke. It might have been a bad joke. It might have been a joke that felt really flat. It might have been something that didn't work out. <laughs> and you're right. Wins will fix everything. But man, that was a wild thing. A wild thing. He is a reporter for Fox Sports. He is the National College Football Insider for The Athletic. He is the man behind the annual freaks list for The Athletic. He is also a New York Times best-selling author and always shows up just like that on this program. Bruce, appreciate you as always. Thank you very much and another great job.
3: Always a pleasure Jim
0: Good night now.